Wow. Man, I love this community of believers. I just love the flexibility that we have. We move from venue to venue. We all just show up, rally together, and uh, just come into a space where we can hear God. And, uh, you know, I just think that's amazing. All you 9 a.m. people here this morning, wipe the sleepy dirt out of your eyes to get to church. It's so awesome. 9, 11 o'clock this morning, 5 p.m. tonight. Hey, next week, everybody say next week. We're in the town hall, so we're back to 10 a.m. And maybe you're new to this community. Hey, we'd love to have you part of it and love to let you know what's going on. So do visit us in the foyer because we just text out where we are week to week. And uh, God's doing something special in this place. Is that right? How many have got a testimony of God working in their life? Come on, lift your hand if God's been good to you. Come on, just lift your hand right where you are right now. God's been good. We serve a good God who does good things. And I believe He's got something great for us today. How about throwing a hand or two in the air? Whatever you come, came needing, whatever you're believing for today, we serve a God who not only knows your need, He has the power to meet you right where you're at. We thank you, God, that you're our ever-present help in our time of trouble. Lord, wherever we have need, we thank you we can call upon you and know, Lord, that you will answer us. Lord, you're not a distant God. You're not far away, but you're close today. And Lord, we thank you. Lord, we can come into your presence, Lord, and find, Lord, you in a powerful way in our lives. Lord, we pray you'd work in our hearts and you do a miracle in this place. Lord, where people need healing, where they need breakthrough, Lord, where they need, Lord, just answers. I thank you, God, that, Lord, you're a God who loves to do good things. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, come on, everybody said, can we give God one more big clap of praise? Come on, that's it, the balcony on. Amen. Well, I'm preaching from the subject, God's plan. God's plan. I, I put that into Google and I come up with a whole lot of Drake lyrics. How many know God's plan is bigger than Drake's lyrics? Definitely. And it's funny how the world's defined God's plan as a song. <laughs> well, Google has at least. But God's plan for your life is so much bigger and better than you can imagine. How many know God has a plan for your life? Just quickly turn to your neighbor and say, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for today, tomorrow, and the years to come. How about grabbing your seat? We'd like to welcome in all those in Napier this morning. Can we put our hands together and welcome in our Napier family? Come on, give them a big hand right now. And uh, great that you're joining in. Well, God has a plan for yours in my life. If you go to your Bible, let's go to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two, just one verse I wanna read out here. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What have we been created to do? We've been created to do good works. We are His masterpiece, some versions would say. You know, how many know when God made you and I, He didn't make a mistake? He didn't go, oh, I've got that wrong. You know, I'll try a bit on the next one. It wasn't like we we're on some production line and go, oh, dang, missed out on that one. Too bad. They'll just have to live with that. You know, we've all got things, I guarantee, that we want to change. But how many know God doesn't want to change anything about how we look? 
Uh, he's made us. We're being created in His image, and He's created us to do good works, listen to this, which God in advance has prepared for us. He's prepared them in advance for us to do. So, so he's got a plan for yours and my life. We aren't an accident. We aren't a mistake. You know, God's put us on this planet for a reason. You know, and the tragedy in life would be walking around not knowing what we're here for. In fact, I remember, you know, when I was about seven years old, walking into my parents' room in the middle of the night. I'd been up. I'd been thinking about some stuff. And I walked into the room and I said to them, what on earth am I here for? <laughs> That's why I wanted to know at that early age, why was I on this earth? You know, how many of you had a, a, a surreal moment where you've looked into the mirror and you go, wow, that's actually me. You know, that's, that's who I am. Because you don't get to see yourself all the time. But when you look in the mirror, you actually go, ah, that's me. And God formed this and fashioned this and he's got a purpose for each and every one of us. You know, and every single person who walks this planet is significant to God. Uh, it's significant that God loves us individually. He loves us corporately, but He loves us individually. And He's got a plan and purpose for our life. How many know we're awesome? I don't know. Oh, some of us are unconvinced on that. The Bible talks about in Psalm 139 that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Another way of saying that is we are awesome. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're awesome. You're awesome. You may not think that. But I'd say, who are you to disagree with God? Now, you're awesome. And God has amazing things for yours in my life, if we just believe that. I know things have happened. You know, we've all gone through some stuff. And in a way, the stuff that we go through can, can, can cause us to lose perspective on who we are in God. You know, there's, and within all of us, there's, a, there's an element of brokenness. Uh, but part of the mission of God is, is found, and I want you to go in your Bible to Isaiah 61. It's found in Isaiah 61, and we're going to jump to verse 4. We're going to come back to verse 1 to 3, but we're going to go to verse 4, and then we're going to go backwards. So you're with me this morning. Okay, here, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 4, it says, They, here's our purpose, they will rebuild the ancient ruins, and they restore, will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Man, what a great picture. How many can recognize some places in the world right now where there's devastation, where there's ruins? You know, here's the commission of God for you and I. It says, well, what we'll do is where there's devastation, we'll bring restoration, and where there's ruins, there'll be, there'll be renewal. Uh, that's God's plan. Now, wherever there's devastation, there, there will be a rebuilding, and wherever there's ruins, there, there'll be a restoration. Man, that's, that's a, a, a great picture to take hold of. That out of devastation, no matter how bad it gets, God has a plan to rebuild. Doesn't matter what's happened to you. You know, if you made bad decision after bad decision, God is able to restore. In fact, the Bible says He's able to restore the years that the locusts have eaten away. You know, where the locusts have come in and tried to devastate your life. God is a restoring God. 
Out of ruins, he's able to make something good. Out of addictions, out of financial loss, out of relational pain, out of divorce, out of failure, God's able to do something amazing. God has a plan for your life, and he hasn't changed his plan. And part of the plan for the people of God is that we would be people who would bring restoration, who would rebuild, who would restore. How How many know we all have a testimony? Each and every one of us has a story. And, and, and this passage re- really plays on the fact that you and I have a story. Uh, Isaiah 61 is an important passage of Scripture. In fact, this is the passage that, that Jesus quotes in, in Luke chapter 4. He's handed the scroll and he reads out Isaiah chapter 61. And then he sits down and he says, In your hearing of this today, it's fulfilled. Uh, uh, This passage of Scripture is talking about me. That's what he's saying. And so what does he say? In Isaiah 61 verse 1, he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because, somebody say because, because he has anointed me. You know, how many know when God comes upon us, it's not just so that we can get, you know, nice feelings. It's so that he might anoint us and empower us. Anoint us to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and to release from darkness, from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all those who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them, listen to this, a crown. God wants to put on a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He wants to give you the oil of joy instead of mourning. That's good news right there. He wants us to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of despair, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display, for the display of his splendor. You know, after these three verses, those, the other first three verses come verse four, which talks about how they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore. The question I want to ask you today, who's they? Who, who's they in verse 4? Who's he talking about? How many, how many know people often say, oh, well, they say. They say, and uh, you ask them, who's they? And they go, oh, I don't know. They, they. So they are some mysterious group of people who I've never met. Uh, they are a group of people who obviously don't live in my neighborhood. You know, in fact, oh, they're saying, you know, people use that as leverage to, to try and get everybody to buy into something. Everybody's saying. And when you ask them who is, it's normally maybe one or two or, or not even that. They're just using they to endorse their own opinions. But, but the they in this group, the they, it's referring to, you know, what Jesus identified in verse 1 to 3. That they are the poor. They are the afflicted, they are the brokenhearted, they are the captives. Uh, they are the burnt out ones, the, the ones who have fainted along the way, the, the ones in despair. They, they are the ones that God's chosen to rebuild cities. 
Uh, they are the ones that God's chosen to, to restore ancient ruins. They, they're the chosen. It's not the ones the world would think. You know, when God's plan, God's, God's master plan is that he uses the foolishness of this world to actually display his glory. You know, think about this. Uh, uh, the most broken, that's who he chooses. Uh, well, uh, another way of saying that is the most honest. Because how many know all of us are broken to a measure? All of us have a level of brokenness in our life that, that by God's grace, if we're known God, has brought healing to. He's healed us. He's redeemed us. He's lifted us up out of the miry clay, and He's placed our, foot on, on a ro- our feet on a rock. See, many people today pretend that there's no brokenness in their life. But without Jesus, we're broken. We're lost in our sin. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to heal our brokenness. And God then chooses the broken to rebuild. They're the ones that he wants to anoint. That's the one he wants to use to restore ruins. They're the builders, or or should I say, we are the builders. No, No, it's not the people who think they've got it all together. It's those who recognize their brokenness, recognize their frailty, recognize where God's brought them from. See, what you've got to understand is if you have a testimony of healing, if you have a testimony of breakthrough, if you have a testimony of deliverance or reconciliation, you are God's chosen vessel. Uh, God would have it that our most effective place of ministry is the place where we feel most vulnerable. Come on, I I want you to help you identify God's plan for your life. You know, in the place where the enemy has tried to cause havoc is the place that God would often use to anoint you to bring healing to the world around you. It's in that place, but most of us feel weak in that place. But I've got good news today. That's the place where God wants to anoint you and empower you to change the world. You know, if you came from a broken family, you have an anointing to bring healing to those places. If you've experienced God heal your heart, there's many other people who are just like you who are going through the same things that you went through, that you've gone through, and you have an answer to them. And how the church rebuilds around it is taking the mess of our life and, and it's saying, this is my message to the world around me. Come on, if you've been through bankruptcy, if you've been through a broken marriage, if you've been through sickness, if you've been through some stuff where, where you thought things would happen and it didn't work out and you, you're disappointed, you have a message to tell somebody else. You know, there's people right now who are going through what you're going through. Yeah, and do you know your attitude and your trust in God speaks volumes? And and when you're in it, people are looking at you. Well, how are they going to respond? Are they going to throw their toys out of the cot? Are they going to, you know, distance themselves from God? Are they going to trust in other things? And, And your message 
comes through clear by how you handle the adversity in your life. Now, God has anointed us. You know, a lot of people today miss out on God's purpose because they don't recognize Him in their pain. And God wants to give the pain of your past and your present a, pers- a-, a purpose because He's anointed you. Your redeemed past or your testimony is your greatest, one of your greatest platforms as a believer. Come on, how many have a testimony in this room? Come on, can we give God a clap of praise for what He's done in our lives? Come on, if God's done anything great in your life, come on, let's give Him a huge clap of praise. See, see, one thing I found is, is the enemy loves to diminish God's work in our life. He, he wants to get us to a place where we downplay it, where, where we think everybody else has got a testimony, but, but not me. Here's the deal. If you're breathing, if you're alive, and, and you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you, you have a powerful testimony. Yeah, you have a powerful testimony. You know, some people say, oh, well, that person was radically saved. They were radically saved. Well, I don't know any other type of salvation. It's not, well, I, I got in a little bit by my own effort. No, there's only one type of salvation, and that's radical salvation. And so if you're saved in this place, it, it's a radical, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, wow, it's a, Ah, it's, it's amazing what God's done. You know, be, be careful. You know, when it, when it comes to, to people, you know, who, who are always downplaying stuff. Be, be careful, I'd say, to, to people who are self-critical all the time. You know, because they're not viewing themselves in the image of God. You know, and if you hang out with people who are always self-critical, Here's the deal, they'll probably love you the same way they love themselves. Because you can't love others if you first don't, you'll love them to the measure that you love yourself. Come on, some of us need to like ourselves a whole lot more. We need to celebrate who we are in God, and we need to celebrate where He's brought us to. And, and, you know, somebody who's self-critical, you know, comes down on themselves, they don't have the capacity than to love others. And, and, and what you've got to realize is when you come to Christ, the, the old person is dead. That person who made all those mistakes, who made all those wrong choices, who did that stuff, doesn't live. That's why Paul says in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ who lives within me. Yeah. You know, see, one thing I've found is God will never speak to your old person. Because that person's dead. You know, if you're in Christ, you're a new person. Come on, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So, so when it comes to God's plan, He speaks to your new person. He doesn't speak to your old person. He speak, but some of us, you know, still we're living in the condemnation of yesterday. And, and we live, oh, God couldn't use me because I, no, God wants to use you. And in spite of it, he's covered that. 
and from that pain, that pain that's in your life, he wants to bring about his purpose. See, I've found God uses, what he does, the master plan of God is he uses the plots of the enemy, the plots of the enemy to serve his plan. He has a way of turning around. He, he's like the master chess player. You know, the enemy thinks they've got the upper hand, thinks, you know, uh, we've got them there. We've brought devastation, we've brought ruin. But God says, hey, from those ruins, from that material, I'm going to rebuild cities. I'm going to restore nations. Come on, that's good news this morning. That's good news. All right, I want to just change tag. Let's go in our Bible to to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And I want to highlight a parable that, that Jesus told. It's a parable of the shrewd manager. It's, it's a little bit of a strange parable. Uh, it's hard to understand in some points, but I pray today that your eyes would be open. You know, it's, it's a parable of, of somebody who does something dishonest but gets commended for it. You know, here, a guy comes along, a manager, what he, he does is he squanders his master's money. And he's notified that he's getting fired. He's getting fired. So what does he do? He, he uses the last days on his job to, to defraud his master further. And there's a strange twist to how he goes about it. He doesn't steal directly from his master, uh, perhaps because he knows it'll be impossible you know, to, to take anything when, when he leaves. But what he does is he fraudulently reduces the debts of his master's debtors hoping that, that once he leaves, they will reciprocate the favor back to him, and he'll be looked after once he has no job. And it's like, hey, he goes to them, like, if I scratch your back now, you know, hey, remember, look after me later on when I don't have a job. And the master comes along, and, and, and he commends this dishonest manager, uh, let's look, pick it up from verse 8. It says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world, Jesus says, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. So Jesus here is going, what are you talking about? He's saying the people of the world, he's saying this is a good thing. They're more shrewd than... Than, than people in the kingdom sometimes. And he goes on, he says, I tell you, use wealthly, worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it was gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. He goes on, verse 10, who can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much and whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So he clarifies here, And he goes on, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, if you haven't been, who will trust you with true riches? So so here he's saying, uh, hey, in the kingdom, I I trust people with worldly wealth. And if they can't be trusted there, I can't give them true riches. Now, what are true riches in the kingdom? I, I believe true riches are people. And the lowest form of stewardship that you and I get tested with is money. 
is money. That's the last form. And he says, hey, if you can be trusted with money, I'll give you impact and influence with people. And he goes on, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, the Pharisees who loved money heard this and were sneering at Jesus. Some of you right now are sneering. Oh, no, he's going to talk about money. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk that much about money. The question I want to ask you today is, how shrewd are you? How, how shrewd are you? Yeah, you know, Many people today will, will go to great lengths to prove a point. They'll work different angles, they'll, they'll do different things, they'll put things at risk just to, just to prove a point, you know, to keep up an image, to, to cover up something, a mistake. A lot of people will put a lot of things at risk just to, just to do that. Here, this, this manager says, i got to do something because I'm too proud to beg. Sweet darling. No, uh, I'm too proud to beg. I'm not going to beg once I've lost my job. And he said, also, I'm not strong enough to dig. So, so I don't want to do that. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to my master's debtors and I'm going to cut some deals. And what he did was he leveraged his existing relationship with his boss's debtors. So he could get an advantage. And, and the master, again, he commends him for being shrewd. Now, now shrewd, the meaning of shrewd is, is, is having and showing sharp powers of judgment. Being shrewd is being astute, is being clever, is being canny. Now, and he was, saying, he was commended for those things because he leveraged his master's wealth to actually gain favor. Now, now uh, what I want to say right at the start, uh, the object was wrong. What he did was wrong. Because even Jesus clarified, if you're not faithful, and little God won't be, uh, you, you won't be faithful in much. If you're not faithful in which is another man's, and with money, so Jesus went on. Clarify. Hey, so, but, but God wasn't commending him for the, the object. The, his object was self-preservation. But he was saying, hey, the, the way this guy dealt with things, the, the, the ingenuity, the thinking, he commended him for that. And he said, you know, here this guy does it for a wrong, per, wrong cause. How much more should you and I operate that for a worthy cause? You know, so many t people today go to great lengths for causes that don't even matter. Uh, causes that, that in the light of eternity, really, they're, they're going to be vapor. They're going to evaporate. It's not, but, but God says, well, how much more should the people of light be shrewd when it comes to the cause that we're involved in? In fact, he goes on, he says, I, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I, I want to say as a church, come on, let's be shrewd when it comes to kingdom advancement. Let's be shrewd when it, when it comes to uh, figuring out ways as to how we can have, have, have a kingdom ap impact. Come on, come on, let's even leverage some stuff. 
Leverage. To leverage something actually means to use something to maximum advantage. I really believe in many places the kingdom of God is not progressing as it should because so many of us aren't prepared to leverage things for the kingdom. You know, we'll leverage things for ourselves, as this guy did in the story. Uh, but, the, but the question I want to ask is, is what are you leveraging right now in your life where God's given you favor, where he's blessed you? How are you leveraging what you have in your life for kingdom purpose? See, see God wants to take what we've been through our past and he wants to anoint us so that we can bring, uh, we can bring, make a difference over here. But many of us, we've been through some stuff and we've forgotten about it. And we don't even share with, with, with anyone else. We've been through it. We've got a testimony. But we keep that testimony to ourselves. I really believe we need to leverage some stuff. See, leverage, things are leveraged every day. Bottle openers. How many know to open a bottle? It leverages involved. There's a pivot point where leverage is involved. If you're to pull out a nail, the back of a hammer, you can't just pull out a nail with your hand like this. What are you using? You're using leverage and you're getting optimum advantage because you're using leverage to pull that thing out. In fact, the longer the lever, the less effort is required. And in the kingdom, many people don't understand this. You know, and we go about trying to pull out nails, but, but I really believe we've got to be smart. We've got to be shrewd. Come on, is there anybody with me? Many people go, oh, that's all good for businesses. Well, yeah, here's the deal. Well, what's the purpose of a business in a lot of places to make money? I mean, you know, in the end, you can't take that to heaven. I believe when it comes to kingdom purpose, you know, the kingdom deserves the best level of thinking. So many people apply it to this and apply it to that, but then they almost go like, oh, well, you know, I'm not bringing that into the kingdom. I'll, I'll leave that over there. But, but here, I really believe Jesus, you know, encourages us to be shrewd. To, and and. Four things, just quickly, four things that we need to be shrewd in. Number one is, is four things that we can, can leverage. Number one, we need to leverage our now for the future. How many know this guy had a short amount of time? And I want to say, in life, time is ticking. And with some urgency, he did what was needed to be done. Some of us think we've got time. No, time is ticking. And I want to say, how are you leveraging your now for eternity? How are you leveraging your now to win more people into eternity? Because at the end of the day, material possessions, we don't take all this other stuff we don't take. We only take people. How many know people matter? We can say it, but what are we leveraging now for eternity? Come on, some of us need to watch Schindler's List and, and just see, you know, this guy saved a whole lot of Jews. You've seen the movie. You know the story. But at the end of it, he was still uh, grieved because he said, how many more people could I have saved with this watch? This watch, you know, once he considered his watch precious, but in light of, uh, of people's freedom, his watch is nothing. Some of us right now, we're, we're looking at things and we think they're precious, but in the light of people's salvation, 
Come on, we need to leverage our now for eternity. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to heaven and, and, and for God to say to me, you limited me. You limited my purpose in your life. It talks about in Psalm 78 how the Israelites, because they didn't believe, they, they limited the, the Holy One of Israel. It's like God, God saying, hey, you could have had this because you saw other things as being precious and you never leveraged those things. You missed out. So we've got to leverage our now. Come on, I really believe with a sense of urgency in the church, we need to leverage our now for the future. I don't like what's happening right now in our nation. You know, I don't like the, the, the new abortion laws that are coming out. And, and, I'll, and I'll say that, you know, who's going to speak up for, for somebody who doesn't have a voice? Come on, we need to speak up. We need to be the church. We need to leverage what we have to rebuild our cities, you know, in places of devastation. Come on, we're called to bring restoration in Jesus' name. Number two, we need to resource or leverage, should I say, our resources in time. You know, listen to verse 16. He starts off this parable and he says this. He also said to the disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. Now, that implies that this was off the back of something else he was telling the disciples. Now, if we go back a chapter, we, we find out that, that this parable was told off the back of the parable of, of, of the man who had two sons. It's not the parable of the lost son. It's, it's about the father who had two lost sons. Because how many know in that story, there wasn't just one lost son. There was two. One was in the house. He was lost. And one went away from the house, came out home, he was lost, but he was found. Here's the deal with, with the, that parable is we don't know how the older brother responded. In fact, the challenge of that parable was actually to the older brother. Because Jesus, if we know the context, was speaking to two groups of people. He, he was speaking to, to the tax collectors and the sinners that are away from God. And he was speaking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Now, now to interpret that parable, you've got to understand that the, the tax collectors and the sinners, they represent the younger brother who took the inheritance and went and spent it on wasteful living. He did that, but when he was in the pig pen, the Bible says he came to his senses and he said, my, my, my father's servants have it better than I have it. Now, maybe I should go back. I'll go back to my father and say, make me one of your hired servants. He came home and he received a, a reception he didn't expect. Uh, his father was waiting for him, saw him and ran to him. Don't you love that picture? That whenever we make a decision to come back, uh, back to God, God's waiting for us. And when he sees us, he'll run to us. And he says, kill the fatted calf. We're going to throw a party because my son who was lost has come home. The older brother who'd been at home the whole time heard the party, asked what was going on. The servants told him that our young brothers come home. But they got upset. He got upset. Because he says, where's my fatted calf? You know, I've done this. I've been at home the whole time. I've never had that. 
Isn't it interesting in the story that, that the father goes out to the older brother as well? He, he, he runs to the younger, but he goes out to the older brother who's out, outside, refusing to come in. And he says to him, you know, all I have is yours. If you wanted a party, you could have thrown it any time. And the older brother, you know, still is mad. And the challenge of that parable is, is how's the older brother going to respond? There's no conclusion to it. We don't know whether he goes back in or not. You know, it, this is off the back of two other parables. Now, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Now, now in those two parables, there's an all-out search for the lost sheep. The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one, you know, with the 10 coins. You know, they, they overturn everything to find the coin. And when, when that was, last was found, they, what did they do? They threw a party. How many know in the parable of the, the lost sons, there's no search? There's no search for the lost brother. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder whose job it was to search. Could it be that it was the older brother's job to search? But he didn't take the resources he had available to him and use them to go after. Come on, you're hearing me right now. Yeah, to go after the one, to go after his younger brother. See, I really believe as a church, We've got to use everything that we have to go after people who don't know Jesus. In fact, I, I challenge to say in the kingdom, uh, the kingdom views waste, wasted opportunities are judged more severely than failure. In the kingdom, wasted opportunities are judged more severely than favor. It's like God looks less favorable on people who do nothing and hold on to what they have than people who give it a go and fail. And some of us right now, when it comes to ministry and reaching out, we're doing nothing because we're afraid of failure. But the way the kingdom, hey, I want you to use your worldly wealth to win friends. I want you to leverage your resources that the kingdom of God may go forward. And, and hey, well, what if it doesn't work? That's a waste. That, no, it's, it's not a waste. Anything you do for God that doesn't work out in the natural is simply worship. It's worship. And so often, you know, we, in, our, in our worldly thinking, we view it as waste. But we're going to waste our lives on Jesus. We're gonna, if you want to know God's purpose, you've got to abandon everything. You've got to leverage everything because you're born for kingdom cause. And I want to say number three, if we're to move forward, we need to leverage our story. You have a story. Every story has a God element to it. The fact that you're here today, I believe God's brought you in this place. And we've got to use our story to help others. Any victory we've had, any blessing we have, it's not because we're good. It's because He is good. 
You know, and, and when it comes down, it's not a competition who's got the best story. You know, you're around a group of friends and it's like somebody tells a story and then somebody has to go one up and tell a better story. You know, who's got a joke, better joke? Better. It's, it's not a competition. And the enemy tries to diminish. You say, oh, oh, what, your story. No, that's a work of God. That's, and, and in fact, how we overcome the devil... Yeah, Revelation 12, verse 11 says, And they defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and their word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. How, how do you overcome the enemy? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Your testimony. You've got a testimony of God working in your life. Lastly, number four, we need to leverage our relationships. And God saves us. He, he puts us in a community so that we can work together. So that we can get maximum advantage. Ministry is never meant to be done in isolation. And when you're a believer, you're a minister. And God has put us together for a reason. It's for kingdom purpose. And the question we're going to ask in our relationship is, what's the kingdom purpose in this relationship? What, what's the eternal purpose? I've been saying of late. You know, God gives all of us a platform. Some have bigger platforms, some have smaller platforms, but we've all got platforms that we operate. Platforms in our family, platforms at work, platforms on the sports field, platforms among our friends. You know, a platform is not your purpose. You have a purpose that's bigger than your platform problem in the world today is many people have made their work, their platform at work, their purpose, or their, their platform, you know, the, the fact that, you know, that they've experienced some good things. It's a platform. People listen to them. The, the, they've used that as their purpose, but your purpose is bigger than your platform. And God's plan is to take the platforms of our world that He's given us and use them to serve His purpose. I want to say, is Jesus going to be the type of friend you don't introduce to other people? Come on, you know, those friends, oh, it's like, oh, yeah, I've got this friend. He's a bit crazy, but work over. You know, it's almost like you need to apologize for that friend. It's like, oh, I just need to warn you about this guy. You know, he's a little bit different. You know, is Jesus going to be that type of friend? You know, it's like, oh, uh, you know, I don't really introduce, you know. Because some of us, yeah, it's like we're at work, we're at school, we never talk about Jesus. We never, we don't even think about introducing Him and we're not taking our platforms and using it for kingdom purpose. And Jesus says, listen to what Jesus says. He says, Matthew 10 verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I'll also acknowledge before my Father in heaven, but whoever disowns me before others, Come on, how many have ever disowned Jesus? It's like, oh, been there. Peter, guilty. You know, you know I've been there before. But it, listen to this. Whoever disowns me for, before others, I'll disown before my Father in heaven. On, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that guy. Sitting around a, a fire, being warmed. Going, hey, where'd you? One of Jesus, nah, not me. I don't want to hear the rooster crow. 
you know, I want to acknowledge Jesus. I want to acknowledge how good He's been to me. And I want to leverage everything that I have for kingdom purpose. God's plan. God's plan. It's amazing. When you align your life with kingdom purpose, and I've seen it, you make decisions to leverage stuff. Man, God goes, hey, I can bless that. I can use that. And then He goes way and above your own abilities. Some of us, it's like we've got departments, departments in our life. We've got our church department. We've got our work department. We've got a family. And it's like, well, God can have that area of my life, that area, but I'm not letting them touch that area. That's my area. That's my, my area. I really believe God wants to touch that area. And if you had surrendered it to God, God would do more than you could ever think or imagine. Here's the deal. You are His masterpiece. You are as created to do good works, good works that He's prepared in advance for you to do. Come on, we as a church just need to step into it and realize everything that God has for our life. Come on, how many believe that this morning? Come on, you received the Word of God. Come on, leverage. We've got to leverage some stuff to, to take this forward, to rebuild this story. I'm glad. Auckland won. Man, restoration in Jesus' name. But we don't just need to see it in our sports fields. We need to see it with people's lives and families and marriages. And come on, there's too much going on, too much devastation going on. And you and I are called to make a difference in Jesus' name. If you believe it, have our standing to your feet. Thank you, God. How many accept the challenge? We've got some challenge coming up. Fast is a challenge. You know, it's not picking things that are easy. I'm just fasting Brussels sprouts. I mean, no, we all can do that easily. Well, I'm fasting between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. I want to say, you know, let's think how we can challenge yourself, how, how, how we can leverage to take this thing forward. Come on, how many want to see God's kingdom come? His will be done. Oh, three people. Come on, come on. That's his, his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, we're called to be the answer. And he's commissioned you and I to be. How about lifting your hands right where you are? Lord, I pray as people go into their week, they'll know your anointing. They'll know your empowerment. Lord, I pray, Lord, in every area where there's brokenness, you bring healing. Where people are locked up in captivity, you bring freedom in Jesus' name. Lord, you've, you've, you've anointed. Your anointing does that. Lord, and I pray, Lord, right now, you'd take us. Lord, take the testimonies of our life and you'd use it to rebuild this city, to rebuild this nation. Lord, to restore the ru ruins. Lord, I thank you, Lord. We're not here by chance. We're, we're here by your ordained purpose. Lord, and in this time, I pray you'd use us as a body of people to make a difference, to have an impact. Lord, we pray for greater influence, favor, and blessing in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. We can ask of you knowing, Lord, that we're your children. Lord, and you're wanting to give us good things, and you're wanting to do good things through our life. Lord, we love you today. We give you thanks. Come on, would you just lift your voice and give God thanks for every good thing he's done? Come on, acknowledge him, acknowledge him.
Come on, acknowledge Him in your workplace. Acknowledge Him in your family. Come on, acknowledge Him in your relationships. Come on, He's been faithful. He's been good. He's been good, so good to us. We thank you, Jesus. We honor you. We bless you.